Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are joining us. And welcome to another episode of the Tuesday Tice Talk with your host, not Jenny Radcliffe again. Jenny is still on her holidays. My name is Tom Langford. I'm standing in while uh, Jenny is, I think she's in Skegness now. Uh, she's just come from Blackpool, where I think she she visited the um, the Strictly set as it was a you know a goal of her life, and now she's on her way to do the the Coronation Street set tour as well. So I think she's fulfilling a lot of childhood dreams here. Anyway, today today it's not Jenny, it's me. I've got some wonderful guests with me. Uh, and we are going to be talking about security culture, security awareness. And uh, very first off, we're going to be uh, looking at a news item uh, entitled Users Are Not Stupid, So Don't Treat Them Like They Are. And, uh, and in no way, coincidentally, after that title, I'm going to ask our panellists to come on stage. So, can I bring on, please, Michael Woodson, who's Director of Information Security and Privacy at Senesta Hotels. Thank you. Hello, Michael. Sergey uh, Terian, who's the Chief Information Security Officer of Digitain. Hello, Sergey. Oh, techie problems. Uh, Ali Bakush, who's the Regional Information Security and Data Privacy Officer. Uh, of Texas Instru Instruments. Hello, Ali. Oh, and Ali's on mute. It's all going well today. And finally, John France, Chief Information Security Officer of IRT Squared. Hello, John. Hi. Hopefully I got the right button. Yes, you did. Yes, you Fantastic. did. Fantastic. Um, We've obviously lost Sergey. At the moment, it looks like a spot the odd one out crowd here. And the clue is it's to do with hair. Um, so, uh, John, I think I think you've won this uh, today's round. So let's take a look uh, whilst we hopefully get Sergey uh, back in the call. Let's take a look at today's uh, news item. So this is from uh, RS, the RSA conference and it is titled Users are not stupid, so don't treat them like they are. And they then goes on to list. Ah, Sergey, welcome, Sergey. Thank you. It then goes on to list the eight pitfalls of cyber security. Now, if you read these eight, if uh, uh, if the Thai self wouldn't mind uh, scrolling down to the, just leave those uh, those eight on the screen for the time being. These just actually look to me like good parenting tips more than anything else. Um, I, they look pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, they do. They do. Very interesting uh, on these on these on these eight. Um, but however, you know, the assumption users are stupid or hopeless. Um, that's debatable, and I'll just put it that way. Yeah, but I mean, many of them, you know, putting too much burden on users. Um, not tailoring communications, assuming the most secure solution is best, using punitive measures to get users to comply. You'd think, you know, like I said, it looks like parenting tips. We, we, we've all been children, at least I hope so. We've all been children. We've all been subject to these kinds of measures, and we know that they don't work. So why are we, why are we trying as security professionals to, for instance, 
use punitive measures, use the stick rather than the yeah. carrot to try and get people to comply. You want to just, isn't that an open question? Or you yeah, jump in, please jump in. jump in. So one, one of the things is, it depends on your industry. So for example, maintaining compliance, given actual, you know, there are things that you should be doing in your world that mandate you to do a, a behavioral change and making sure that everybody's indulging in proper security uh, regimens as they in, you know, indulge in doing business every day and making sure that you're enabling the organization to be in compliance to those regulatory requirements. The other thing is, you know, um, things like expenses. Um, when when you look at that, you know, it can help you minimize, you know, things related to the outcome of when an incident or a breach occurs. If you've done some good things up front, it's not going to cost you later. So pay now or pay later, right? Have a clue or pay later, okay? And, that's, and I'll stop right there for somebody else to kind of take the ball and run with it. I'll, I'll jump in and say users are not stupid, but they may be ignorant. And that's that's our job to educate. So um, part, part of this is awareness, and that is uh, designing effective comms, etc. Um, of course, most employees' jobs, first and foremost, isn't to be a security professional, and nor should we expect them to be. Um, but there is part of that social contract of, you know, don't do stupid things, and we'll educate you what's the right thing to do. Um, and, and that's the buy-in. So there, there's that. Um, they may be ignorant until they're told or until they're educated, and then they take on part of the burden. Um, to the point of regulation, yeah, that's a backstop. Um, everyone should be aware of their responsibilities as far as their industry and regulation is concerned. Um, so I'd, I'd go with ignorant, not stupid, and that's our job to educate. Mm-hmm. Um and it's also our job as security professionals is probably to lower friction in the in the world of security because making something too tough, too high, too difficult means people are going to avoid it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, that's that's our job to remove friction. So you say it's not people's jobs to be information security professionals, but just just to you know mix it up a little. People seem to assume or businesses assume that it's our job as security professionals to be project managers, finance managers, HR managers, and also know legal as well. So what, there seems to be a little misbalance here is, and I'm not saying this in a, oh, well, they should be doing it because we have to do everything else. But surely something more fundamental has to change so that it becomes part of the DNA in the same way that being a finance person, being a legal person, being a, you know, a, a whatever, uh, is expected of everyone else. Mm. I think uh, people have to understand that cybersecurity or information security is a teamwork. It is not only the information security department job. So many employers thread that in, uh, infosec department like some kind of, you know, policeman who keeps them under control. Therefore, when someone clicks on some phishing link or file, even if they understand what they did, they don't report about it because they are afraid of some corporate punishment. And uh, this is the wrong mindset that uh, many employers in different companies have. And I think we have to change that mindset. Uh, information security department or information security guys have to be some uh, the, the takey friend for every employer. I think this is the key to success. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Anyone else want to jump in on um, being a being a lawyer? <laughs> What's the question? I, I didn't. You kind of broke up. What, what, what did you say, Tom? I was going to say, anybody else want to jump in on being, you know, a lawyer or a finance person? I think Ali does, but we can't hear Ali. Well, you know, let me just put it this way. You, uh, and then, Ali, if, if, let me just throw this on you. One of the obligations of a security we're in this program is maintaining credibility and trust, right? So yeah. using this program to let leverage across whether the business experience, the the employee experience, but also in the customer experience. So credibility uh, with your customers, your clients, your internal and external stakeholders, as well as the auditors and the regulators. And that's, you know, this pro it's important to have a program in place at foresight for that, for that work, for that, that, that reason. Um, one, one of what we see is it gets watered down is a, it's not my responsibility. Well, you should, the program says it's, we we're in this together. Uh, for the for the good of the order of the organization, good of the order of our customers and clients and our relationships going forward, and the credibility of your brand. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So we've lost Ali for a little while, and I think we'll take that as an opportunity to segue to our uh, uh, to our panel discussion today. Now, before I start that, I just want to remind folks. We really are interested in your questions. It helps us fill any awkward gaps. Although with Michael on the call, I don't think we'll have any of those. Um, we've, so please post, um, post your questions up in the top right under Q&A, or we can pick them up anywhere. Um, and folks uh, on the panel, please keep an eye out as well. If you see something you particularly want to answer, uh, then do, uh, do let us know. So the panel discussion. Oh, and I should say, the best... The best question, comment, or anything, uh, according to me, so it could be just making me laugh, uh, is going to win one of these. Look at that. A fantastic mug. It does everything you need in a mug. It holds good. It has a handle. It's got a nice color. Um, I'm pretty sure this won't wash off too quickly. So please do uh, ask a question, and uh, you, you'll be good to go. Right. So today's panel, Fostering an Effective Security Culture. Welcome back, Ali. Fingers crossed. Can you hear us, Ali? Yes, I can. Um, my apologies. <laughs> Little technical issues. But can I actually follow up and just say a few things? I think uh, maybe I'm pointing to the obvious. And I think we talked about, you know, why do we think, you know, our, our staff are, are kind of ignorant, et cetera. So I think one of the things about this blaming culture is that in order to hold someone accountable, you know, they need to be informed. So we kind of, you know, make sure we put the cart before the horse, <laughs> not put the cart before the horse, so to speak. So I think it's important. I'm totally on board. I think, you know, it's obvious that we need to do more training, do more awareness. And then once they are informed, then we can hold them accountable. And then we'll get to that once we get to the panel discussion. And in fact, I think, you know, that's that's we are just on the panel and that very first bullet point. Now, how are workers prevented from being active and informed partners in security? So. You hit the nail on the head, Ali. It's almost like you were reading ahead. But but uh, how do we make sure that we our, our users are informed partners? It's one thing to be a partner. I, we're in this together. It's another thing, to your point, Ali, to make sure that they know exactly what's going on. So how do we ensure that that is the case? Yeah, I think I'm going to probably state the obvious. If I just go ahead and kick off and I'll let my other co colleagues also jump in. I think, you know, the, the, the tone is really at the top, 
right? It's not necessarily on the shoulders of the IT security uh, organization, right? It really starts from the top. So we want to make sure we have really the board is totally buyed into it. You know, it's not just the talk to talk, walk the walk. And it's not the, just at the board level. It's actually down throughout the whole fabric of our organization, right? That needs to be kind of spread down. When I actually, I give you a kind of a thing that I do when I start a, a talk or a presentation to the various, you know, uh, d departments, I always use my hand, I always raise my hand, it says, uh, uh, who's responsible for information security? And it may be 30, 40 people in the room. And if I have maybe four or five people answering, then I have a job to do, right? <laughs> because ultimately, we want all 30 of them to raise their hand says, yeah, I have a part to play, right? Each one is a stakeholder in this whole, uh, each, each one has a piece in our information security culture. So I think that is actually key to kind of kind of kickstart that conversation to let them understand what are our care abouts. Because I think that is the key message in order to have a successful security culture. They have to actually care, right? What does it mean to them? What is my, what is my interest in this topic? You know, how can you benefit me personally? So actually, uh, I know I, I, everyone's going to probably kick in here, but oftentimes we um, need to inform what's the benefit they can use at home, how they can probably secure, you know, their relatives, their their extended family, what's in it for me personally. And if they have that personal benefit, and this is where the carrot comes in, this is where I think they will be able to be more positively uh, engaged in security when they're at work. So I'll okay. just kick off and just kind of lay the little bit of grant groundwork there. Okay, what about um, being active and informed? Two very different things, I think. Mm. It's an interesting uh, attribute. Did you say active? You say active and informed? Yeah, active and informed. How do, how do we, what's stopping them from being active and informed? Well, <clears throat> not having the confidence that they are aware that they are conscious, conscious of what they know. I mean, and so that comes from being reinforced of, constant training and awareness, whether it be in your LMS system, whether you're messaging, et cetera. Um, some people still sometimes are reluctant uh, to, you know, if you see something, say something. Um, and they, they, they don't know if they should, yeah. right? And have the freedom to do so. So you constantly have to reinforce that. If you see something, say something, there's no retribution. It's, it makes sense, no matter how small, how big, no matter who you are in your organization, again, we're in this together. Whether you be the person who does the cleaning, whether you're the security guy at the door, the valet parker who parks the car, if you see something, say something. Yeah, very true, very true. And and how do you how do you foster that culture, John? Yeah, it's um, so it's making it okay to report. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the carrot, not the stick. No one sets out to be, well, most people, 99.9% .9 don't set out to be malicious about what they're doing. You know, accidents happen um, and it, it's not punishing them for them. It's positive reinforcement. So if you look at sort of the culture aspect is, you know, you, you can call out someone for reporting something, you know, security champ of the week kind of thing, mm -hmm. because... They discovered something, they did something wrong, and they reported it. That's the that's the positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's about uh, building that. And and to, to Michael's point, it's um, sort of good cyber hygiene, and they carry that with them, not just inside the workplace, but you know across the their digital footprint, whether that be home and to relatives as well. So it's making it okay 
to report and giving them the tools, also giving them the tools to do that. But I think the key point here is fostering a security culture. And that's a very, a security culture is a very nebulous thing. These, these are, these are hard. It's very difficult to teach a culture. You have to almost, it's, it's an embracing of a culture. It's, it's, these are um, behaviors that you probably already do and they're just slightly massaged into place. Or is it just a case of training? Do we just sit them in a room once a year and shout PowerPoint at them and call it a culture? No, you don't. <laughs> it's an ongoing, it's like a cake <laughs> or a pie. I'm even going to call it, you know, it won't be seasonal. It's like a turkey, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the point being, you got to add the right seasoning sauce along the way um, yeah. to make it right. Uh, and that's where the LMS system, the ongoing, the types of training, micro, micro training now and that model you know, and getting, find out where they're at. I mean, some people are visual learners, some people like podcasts, and, and providing those resources where they can take that message with them um, and learning your, and, and knowing how they go about absorbing things. You know, whether it be putting a poster up on the board, in the talk room, on a, on a mug as you're drinking, you know, um, one of the things that, you know, we, we here at Sinesta, we have it on our mugs. You know, we, we we try to take things, you know, the coffee hour in the in the break room, along the hallway. I even I went to Google and, um, and they had messages in the bathroom. And it's all that's that's known as one of the best places to put messages, actually. Right. OK, but the point being is that not your phone number. Together, right. So and, and that's what we do. You know, we we here at Sinesta, we 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 put this on it. So as you can see. All right, on our coffee, smokes, all okay. right, of a security. Very good. Mix, all right, and we distribute that. Uh, so um, everyone gets a mug, right? Yeah. Um, so and it, it says a lot. You got to go to where people uh, go, um, even on the back of the ticket that you give. So, for example, some facilities have uh, um, valet parking at the branches, right? Why don't you embrace them, right? That's the type of things that you do. But isn't isn't there a risk of there being like message fatigue? Because if you've got, you know, finance handing out mugs saying do your timesheets on time and you've got mm -hmm. HR on your mug saying, you know, I don't know, don't be a dick or something like that. And you've got other people, you know, other departments doing doing the same and you've got, you know, at the urinal or, or in the stall, there's 17 different messages. There's going to be a fatigue, right? It's, going to be it's, a... it's subliminal yeah. messaging. All right. Subliminal. <laughs> and that's what it is. You know, without them being, it's in you, you either go in their face yeah. or you connect it with something. Like, for example, who would think uh, today we're, we're going to, this month, we're going to, it's going to be on the trays when you go to get your, your, your food in the, in the cafeteria. Right. So, Though that subliminal message there it is, right? You open the door. You leave the the, uh, the gate that leaves when you leave the car, right? Yeah. Across the gate of the car. We're in this together. Right? <laughs> I, I thought in the toilets it would say something like, want to feel relieved all the time. You right, know, right, right. By eye security of any incident. Right. So, so wherever they go, you have to be with them indirectly. You can't be consistent with, you know, you're right, the fatigue of the messaging, et cetera. Try to be creative. Break it up. Um, and, again, where they're at, where their thought process is, 
you know, down to the screen. You know, all of a sudden you take over the, um, <coughs> the, the your screens. Yes, people will scream about it because you know, they can't see their pictures of their son or daughter, etc. But the screensaver, there it is. It just shows up for a week. Right now, infosec people are not known for their creativity. In fairness, I mean, mostly because you know we, many of us come from IT backgrounds. Anyway, where do we even start with all of these ideas? Because it's great stuff, you know, don't get me wrong. But, and I mentioned this yesterday in our preparation call, I said we've been talking about this kind of approach to education awareness for 10, 15 years, you know, as long as I've been actively involved in, you know, in the community and stuff. And we're still talking about it. We're still saying you need to get creative. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to be subliminal. You've got to, you know, printing on mugs and everything like that what one why why have we not fixed it yet and two how do we even start to get that creative when you know i've got all the creativity of a brick wrapped in lemon if i can just go ahead and start off with this one i think i'm just gonna maybe also say uh it kind of picks up what michael was mentioning about you know uh cr creating a, a very kind of a fun, engaging, kind of multilateral approach when you do awareness. One thing that's worked for me particularly is really partnering with our communications department mm -hmm. because there you can be able to sync up and understand what other different communications may be, you know, and because they're kind of the quarterback. They kind of have all the different facades or the communication schedules, pipeline mm -hmm. of the various departments. So you can kind of pick and choose, okay, I see this is a quiet area, maybe let's say in the month of July, it's, it's like uh, people are going on vacation. Here, let's do a vacation piece on awareness, right? Uh, we're coming now close to the Thanksgiving, Christmas shopping season, you know, it's like, you know, hacking season, right? Uh, uh, 2.0. So maybe these are opportunities we can do kind of these point messages that kind of see where it could be benefit from them because a lot of people might be shopping on Amazon mm -hmm. or what have you, online shopping. Maybe it's a good thing to do an information piece on that particular aspect. So, it, but you want to tidy that up with your comms organization. And I've actually partnered a not, number of communication um, outreaches using the uh, comms folks because they can really craft the message and articulate it in probably word in the wordings that particularly an IT security person may not be able to uh, convey. So definitely there should be a very strong partner. I would encourage because it's, it's actually paid dividends uh, and also the timing, right? Mm -hmm. Timing is of the essence, right? But it costs money. Uh, actually, you can do it at quite a low budget, actually. It's just mm -hmm. uh, you kind of do that alignment meetings in the very first so it's a powwow meeting you may have in January. Okay, what is the next six months? What does it look like? What's the outlook? And they kind of plug in where you probably need their help, right? You need their assistance. And usually it's kind of a low touch. It's not necessarily I'm asking them to create a whole document from scratch. So what I'll do, I'll do my first app. Here's what I'm planning to send out. And they just go and do a proofread. says, yeah, it's good to go. And then send it off. Uh, but we just want to make sure that the timing is right. Not that there's general communication from management that may be happening that's important uh, where, uh, with some profit sharing uh, this year or maybe some kind of information that's made relevant for employees. That's why we don't get involved in that fatigue factor, right? You, you mentioned it costs money. Um, yeah, but it's, it's got a return on investment. That's the important thing. So, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's time or money, uh, you, you get payback. And as Ali was saying, it's a team game. So, and you mentioned being creative. If we're not particularly creative, go to the marketing team. They are. <laughs> but, well, to that latter point, they, they will charge. You're 
you know, oh. but you're right. I, I would always say leverage your marketing team. But return on investment, key performance indicators, etc., on any kind of awareness campaign is always difficult, always difficult. The textbooks say your, um, you know, your incidents, your uh, incident reports should go up after an awareness campaign because people are reporting more. But at what stage does it go down? You know, mm-hmm. uh, how, how soon after? And if, it, and if it doesn't go up, it goes down. Is that because less has happened or people haven't taken any, you know, haven't taken any notice? It's, it's a very... It can, it can seem like a very vague and nebulous thing. Today, I think every non-technical uh, people have some techie friend who solve their problems. It could be a neighbor or a colleague or relative or some paid support uh, services. I think our goal is to become that techie friend for each employer uh, who can uh, call and any time with any technical question. Uh, I understand that it takes time, uh, resources from the uh, InforSec uh, uh, person, but it does not compare to what risk we can prevent or detect much earlier. I think on uh, uh, if we talk about the awareness, we talk at first uh, about the phishing attacks, because 90% of the all cyber attacks starts from the phishing. And phishing attacks come not only by mail, uh, it's also come by messenger, by WhatsApp, Telegram, Signal, social networks, Instagram, maybe TikTok, and SMS. Uh, and if companies do not think about the personal cybersecurity of their employers, it will cost them uh, early in the future. I think the solution uh, is to have uh, the InfoSec team in all platforms where cyber attack can be carried out. In this case, I think employers will only need to redirect the link or messages to the, their tech, uh, tech friend and uh, wait a little and uh, after some checks, uh, they get the answer. Open the message, uh, click on the link or not. And uh, if it is malicious, the InfoSec team must to report the platform administrator to block that. I think uh, this is the uh, most optimal way to think about the personal security of each employer and become the techie friend uh, to uh, 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 well uh, better understand that uh, information security is the whole company and the teamwork. That's a, it's very true. It's very true. But a point you made earlier on about the cost of doing it before rather than afterwards. How do we how do we get a figure on that cost? How do we report on the effectiveness on that? Somebody in the in the chat has mentioned that you know there was a, a, an incident in May 2017 that cost 92 million dollars to 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 recover from and so that is now their figure it, everything's going to cost 92 million dollars unless they do something so um it's it's um it's it's not clear or easy to do is it yes but uh, if we talk about the complex security we have to understand that the human is the weakest uh, point in the cyber chain so, oh no no, I'm going to I'm going to jump in. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're the only link 
in the security chain. Not, not the weak link, the only link. Sometimes they can be the strongest link. Absolutely, yes. yeah. I think, I think also in the Q&A, someone mentioned an interesting point, which is in um, hazardous environments, um, you put lots of signage up and you um, <laughs> you sort of say, uh, cultivate high safety culture. And I think what we can take in InfoSec is, is probably signposting at high value uh, points is also key, which is, um, so if a transaction is particularly high value to your organization, then you can put a pop-up on or you can put some some guidance up to say, you know, be careful, no one's looking over your shoulder, et cetera. So signposting where high-value high transactions take place is also a, um, a good point to make. I mean, we talked about putting it in, you know, the, uh, the the bathrooms and the rest of it. That's the kind of subliminal messaging, that stuff you pick up on, you know, like, almost like advertising. And then you've got to do some pointed stuff as well. Um, which is high-value transactions or particularly hazardous um, areas, put a sign up. Yeah, one other thing I think it's worth maybe highlighting that we can probably reinforce, and I see this at least in our organization, because we have a, we're in manufacturing, so there's a fizzle, strong physical security component to it, but we're now seeing that convergence, right, uh, on the um, information security as well mm -hmm. as the physical security, working in partnership together, right. because that also reinforces that security mindset, right? It's not just necessarily mm -hmm. from an information security perspective, but, you know, interest to the facility. Uh, when you kind of uh, bring in visitors, they have their badges, they can be easily identified who they are, and then they'd be accompanied that, that they're roaming around in areas that are probably sensitive areas in our, in our, in our, in our, in our floor. So I think that's also very, very, very important. And we partner also with with physical security on a number of engagements, whether that is, you know, looking at our, our, our some of the partners that we work with doing comp combined audits. So there's that strong built-in relationship. Uh, also, when we do training, so I try to piggyback at least uh, when they're doing training to, let's say, contractors or uh, mm -hmm. different audiences. Hey, why doesn't why doesn't information security get a 20 minutes also pitch right to have that. You know, because it's a lot of bit of overlap there. Mm -hmm. And also, I also try to include privacy, you know, that personal data element. Um, that's also can be also included in information security trainings. Not that we're trying to be so, so diluted a little bit, but there are some very common areas that I think is worth pointing out. Uh, and I'm kind of work on those two roles as the regional CISO as well as the DPO. Uh, data protection officer, so it's kind of good to have that kind of relationship with with, with your uh, your business partners. I've always thought of the um, the data protection officer when it's the CISO is a bit like the um, the master of dark arts in Harry Potter. Nice. It's going to get that's a role that gets passed around from one person to the next. You know, no, nobody wants that role as well. Um, now the question that you brought up, John, that was from uh, Sarah Templey. Thank you for the question, Sarah. You are. In the lead currently for a mug, well done. Uh, but we do have another comment from Simon. And in fact, we've got a, a couple of things coming up. So Simon's one, safety cultures have a definite benefit, avoiding death. Security doesn't really have the same obvious result. So how do you engage people? And this is true. It's, it's People will very easily plug in that USB stick and say, not my problem. Um, you know, and really the worst thing that could happen to them is they get fired. But that's... That's not even something that's right. on their radar, right? So we're, we're trying to sort of make people to care as much about health and safety 
where the end result is death, as they do about security, where the end result is, oh, we get a couple of weeks off while they clean up the computer systems. Well, that's going to be just really, it's, it's in the ethic responsible, the code of, no. of the code. And, and it's the code, right? You, you, you thou shall not, right? You know, and they're, they're just basic. You're not going to do that. You're just not going to put that USB. You're not going to go find it in the parking lot. All right, what's this? And go and plug it in. Um, I think we've moved past that in awareness. Um, back in the day, that wasn't. You know, oh, they're trying to get me, you know, and see if uh, I get caught and, you know, I'm going to be penalized for it. Um, and and that was a mechanism that most, you know, you talk about convergence and working with physical security and, and cybersecurity work together in some internet to do that, you know, drop a couple of USBs and see, see what we get, um, go fishing. Um, the interesting thing is that, that now you talk about convergence and I, I, an article that I'm writing is called Convergence of X. And the convergence of, of X means, you know, partnering, whether it be privacy, you talk about DPL, data privacy as well, um, but also physical security risk and, and also our third parties. We are now in the world of third parties as we move into cloud technologies, all right? But one of the things that people forget, there's other third parties, the people who deliver to you, the supply chain people, all right? I had an interesting talk. I like to talk to the mailman. He sees a lot. The UPS guy sees a lot, all right, coming in. So I said to them, you know, every now and then, you know, here, here's a, here's a, here's a coffee. And hey, you know, have a conversation briefly. Did you see anything, right? They're a third party that we never but been a part of our ecosystem, right? Coming in. So these are the attributes that you, you literally are going to have to um, watch out. Another interesting thing is about your perimeter. You know, the conversion of X in your community around you, of your organization. They, too, are your third party, right? The people that are your neighbors, because they might see something, right? So we have to think outside the box when we're thinking about all of this, about the culture. Is your culture within, but also does, is it inclusive of others that are part of your culture and you don't even realize they are? I want to bring up um, another uh, question. It's, it's more of a comment with uh, a little question at the end. Again, from Sarah Templey. Sarah, you are just streets ahead on this competition at the moment. Uh, a company I was with put a number of employees, including some that never went near the actual chemical plant, CG Finance, through some powerful training where they brought in two actors to be the wife and child of someone who'd been seriously injured and talk about the effects on her and her child. Real emotional heartstring stuff. Infosec may not be life or death unless OT is involved, but could having an identity stolen and bank account emptied be attention grabbing enough? I don't know, just a thought. I love this idea, personally. One, because, you know, maybe I could, uh, you know, get my acting chops back on and, uh, you know, really ham it up in front of the in front of the company. But really, I think, I, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but role play, that, pat, the, you know, trying to elicit that visceral response from people about what could possibly happen and seeing the real world uh, consequences, I think is a very powerful way of communicating. Um, it's about credibility and trust, right? With your, yeah. and the business experience, uh, the employee experience, as well as the customer experience and how you can, you know, I mean, we're in the hospitality business here and, it's, uh, and we have to have a trust of the brand 
of communicating, but training of those employees to understand as the uh, an obligation of their as being employees is how do you enhance that customer experience? And training goes a long way. That's a good way of method. What has you know whether it be a victim of a fraud, right? Bring them in and speaking about it in first person, not yeah. something you're reading about, but first person. That's that's uh, very creative, different. It, it, it bridges that gap between it happening to other people. Right. To bringing it right in front of you. Yes. And I think back to that sort of creative side of things, we seem to be very averse to doing something that goes beyond PowerPoint. You know, I mean, being being creative for us seems to be throwing mm. in some sandwiches and a drink, a can of Coke while you're doing the training. You know, what why why do we have such aversion to these kinds of approaches? It's never been done before. You know, creativity not to dominate, but just it's never been done. But that's a a really good third dimension to bring into the element yeah. is to say, hey, let's change the game. You talked about cybersecurity, the fatigue in messaging. Well, take a different approach. Because I, I talked about, you know, be where they're at. You know, I, like I said, I was at Google the other day there in the bathroom. I'm like, wow, okay. In the stall, literally in the stall. Right. Yeah. Go to where they're at. But that, that's just a different approach on the tray. Uh, on, on, and so here you now bring the victim in and, and the impact that it had on them as a result of that. It speaks loud and clear. It's a training element. Whether you do it live or whether you do a recorded um, kind of reverse engineering of customer testimony, <laughs> customer victimization as a result of what you didn't do goes a long way. Has, any, has anybody on the on the panel done anything along these lines, anything that's really pushed those boundaries? Well, this is maybe before my time and I'm probably considering maybe doing it just maybe when the opportunity presents itself, not doing, we're still not really out of COVID yet, um, but uh, to bring in a kind of a, a, a hacker, you know, and um, have someone try to hack into somebody's uh, social media account or into their devices, so, you know, have that live, right? That live session. And I think what the, what the, the person who just made that last comment or that question, I think it's really relevant because a lot of times when we do awareness training, it, it lacks that sense of personalization, you know, making it person, personal, right? Uh, and that, I think that's more effective. I think also what I'm trying to do, at least in the last year or so, just do more storytelling. So look at particular incidents we had and make that as an opportunity as teachable moments to communicate those incidents. Not obviously going to the details because obviously I want to respect people's privacy. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's say, you know, what would you have done? And this is a real case example, right? I'm not looking at a hypothetical. This is actually something that's took place on our, uh, in our region. Um, and I think people will relate to it more, 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 will resonate more, I think, than as opposed to talking about the theory about what is, you know, how you identify a phishing email. Here are the, here are the signals. Um, those typically don't really are not so effective. People hear it over and over and over again. I think repetition is worth worth doing, but I think what really drives the message home is that personalization, making it purpose, setting a purpose and making it personal. Scaling those messages is challenging, though, isn't it, John? Uh, yes. Yeah. So you, 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 I'll go back to the question you said, have we done anything innovative in the past? I've done some targeted stuff that's been quite innovative. So, um, uh, it's, it's a little while back now, but, um, I, I got a copy of the, the password database and ran it through a cracker. 
and then plot it out on a bell curve of how strong or weak a password is. We got about 90% in about two hours. So. Um, to make it competitional, and this was a senior buy-in, I actually plotted out all the um, executive offices where they sat in the bell curve and actually showed them, like, <laughs> you're in a privileged position. You... Oops. Mm. Have we lost him? Okay. He was reminding me of, of, of how I got my very first firewall in, in my company, and that was by hacking the leadership team's passwords um, and showing it to them and then saying, and this is why we need a firewall. And then, you know, this was in the late 90s, $20,000 later, I got a firewall. So, uh, but yeah, it's doing things like that, actually. It's very theatrical. It's very... Um, it's very over the top, I think, to, to, to John's point as well. But it really does make an impact. It really brings home, and to, to what we were saying before, Michael, it bridges that gap between that'll never happen to me to, oh, my God, this is right in front of me. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you got to pick and choose when you're going to do it, though. You know, yeah. you've got you to be sensitive to that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those, those sensitivity is going to be key. Um for you don't want to scare them, right? <laughs> well, you want to scare them a little bit. You want to scare them a little bit. Right. You, you, you don't want to scare them out of your own job, mm -hmm. but you know right. you want to scare them a little bit. Sergio, you were going to say something. Yes, uh, I think the main problem is that a lot of people, where they are buying some well-known brands uh, and uh, using that services, they usually think that that big brand made the device secure by design for them. But actually, in the era of business, uh, tech companies creating something new, they are, uh, they are in a hurry to enter the market uh, with the new brand device or services. And companies spend a uh, lot of time on the developing uh, that product and uh, spend much fewer resources on its security. And uh, this is... Uh, uh, confirmed by daily hacking news, you mm. know, and therefore everyone have to understand it's about the mindset. When we uh, mm. talking about the culture, we have to talk about the mindset of people. Uh, they, uh, the people have to understand that everyone needs to take care on their own cyber security. Uh, no one, no big brand will care uh, <laughs> about cyber security. Uh, everyone have to do it himself i think uh, yep. when the people we uh, one of our goals is to change that mindset because when we talk about the awareness we have to talk about uh, changing the mindset yeah so john you've just joined us back as we're about to close on to the last question i'm afraid my apologies um i finished your story for you it was great oh. <laughs> yeah um, sorry for the drop out there <laughs> Um, so we do literally just have a couple of minutes. So um, everybody, 15, 20 seconds on this. Do you think it is more difficult to foster an effective security culture in non-IT organizations than in IT organizations? For instance, when you compare accounting or legal to IBM or Microsoft. John, 15 seconds. Uh, really quickly, um, it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's actually easier. Because uh, once you educate, they just do uh, by, by rote, as it were. Uh, sometimes um, it can be a little, a little more difficult because they may not get the underlying concepts or the, the consequence. Yeah. Uh, and that's that storytelling piece. It's the narrative that you've got to give them. Mm -hmm. Very good. Michael? 
Well, it depends on the on the approach you take. Um, and so when you are melting it in, uh, correlating it to what they do in their in their function of their role, role based training, um, and it makes it really simple for in, in adopting micro uh, learning concepts. Excellent, Sergio. Uh, I think it depends on uh, awareness training, uh, the tests uh, every three months, and uh, how you can uh, train the employees, this, and uh, how you can change their mindset. It depends only on that. Okay, excellent. And finally, Ali. I would think that conventional wisdom would probably say maybe an IT organization would probably be easier, but I'd probably take what the other panelists said. It depends on that person's role, right? Not that they're overly confident. Yeah, I understand IT, but a lot of what information security is about, it's really a lot is non-IT. So here, I think it's kind of a fair mix. It can be either way, 50-50. <laughs> Excellent. I think, I think you've answered that like true consultants mm -hmm. by saying it depends. Um, <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. We could we could carry on. I have to say, we could carry on for a very very long time. So thank you for your contributions. Uh, as regards the winner of this beautiful title, well, not this one. This one's mine, but a beautiful tie mug like this. Uh, I'm, it's going to have to go to Sarah Templey. Uh, one purely because of the amount she typed and two because i really like the idea as well so sarah congratulations can i remind all of our uh, listeners and viewers of uh, thursday's tice talk with jeff white which is an industry focus how healthcare institutions protect their data from cyber threats that's this 30 at 1600 hours that's 4 p.m for the civvies and uh, finally, my closing uh, note is that apparently, according to studies, 95% of expenditure um, on security culture and awareness is completely wasted. Um, the unfortunate thing is we don't know which 95%. So on that note, thank you very much, everybody. Have a lovely rest of your day, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Thank Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye.